Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Great to have you here. President of a Wilsey Asset Management for, gosh, uh, 40 years that the company's been around. So uh, with me today, uh, actually Chase is on his honeymoon uh, from his uh, wedding from a few months ago. So he's, uh, I think it's in uh, Bali or someplace uh, with me. Oh, Bora Bora. He should be landing right about now. <laughs> okay. And that voice you may recognize, that is our CFP, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Uh, Harrison, yeah, so he's at Bora Bora. In Tahiti, yeah, in South, Tahiti. South Pacific in okay. uh, French Polynesia. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he's listening to the show. Probably not. It's probably like, probably uh, not. He said he wasn't bringing his computer, so he's he's unplugging for a week. Yeah. You know, I said that when he said that, and he goes, I do have my phone with me. I, th I think uh, his, yeah. his wife, Taylor, like, you're not working on the honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, he'll be uh, he'll be out this week and next week. But uh, Harrison is here, and this is actually a great treat for you because um, you know Harrison does call in and and gives us a financial tip. Well, now it's going to be your opportunity to actually ask a financial planning question, and you may say uh, the, you know, the simple one: What is financial planning? Do I need financial planning? And this is when you get those questions answered because people and and Harrison, uh, we're going to get to our, our our dialogue here in a minute here. But I mean, so many people come in and say, I don't really need financial planning. And then there's things you go over, they say, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people probably don't need traditional financial planning, which is just running a projection based on where you are, and it doesn't add a lot of value. Um, what I think financial planning should be is looking at where you are and then giving advice on how to make your situation more efficient, whether it's reducing future taxes, allowing you to build wealth faster, um, showing you ways that you can mitigate risk that you, maybe you're not aware of, or um, building wealth in a more efficient way that's going to ultimately lead to higher levels of um, tax advantage income in the future. So it's, you know, it's not, okay, you know, this is a, you just need to invest in this asset allocation or buy this mutual fund or annuity and you'll be fine. It's, well, you know, if we do these things, this is how we're going to, you know, heavily reduce your, um, tax liability. We can show you ways to retire sooner with higher levels of income and pay less taxes on that income. So that's really what financial planning is supposed to be. And, and, and one thing too, people may say, I have a financial planner, but I'm not sure if he's doing the job. So there's a lot of questions I can't ask you, which will be here uh, today and uh, next week as well. So uh, the phone numbers, I'll give them out now. We're, we're not taking questions now, but 833-288-0973. That's 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. We also want to talk about some highlights from the previous week. Got to talk about Chat GPT. More hype has come to the markets, and it reminds me of the meme stocks and the cannabis companies. Uh, this time it is AI technology. Uh, it is particularly around Chat GPT. Even large companies like Microsoft have seen a jump of nearly twenty percent in their stock price. Now it has pulled back a little bit. But the problem is ChatGPT doesn't have an AGI or artificial general intelligence in which machines are able to learn and think for themselves. ChatGPT uh, derives its information from word relationships found on the internet, and we know all the information on the internet is not reliable, which has led to incorrect responses from these AI products. 
So while the excitement around ChatGBT is driving up stock prices, consumers will become disappointed with the responses they receive from ChatGBT. Uh, we believe the stock prices will fall back again. One other potential pitfall could be litigation. We know how much our country loves lawsuits. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, to begin with, who will be liable for this misinformation? Also, another question mark is copyright protection. Copyrighted works are being used to train these AI services without consent that could create more problems. For now, we're looking at avoiding that hype. You know, that hype is already starting to kind of fall apart. There's things that are coming up now. And just in this brief time, I, I thought this was going to last a few months. But in this brief time already, there's problems coming up. And I think we did talk before the show. You knew what GPT stood for. Did you know what it was? I, I, oh, you, <laughs> you had something else on GPT. There was something else. So, um, I mean, whether you're looking at chat GPT, there's people that, you know, think this is absolutely nothing. There's people on the other side of the spectrum that thinks this is going to change the world. Um, but now that people are open to it and, and using it, they're typing in, prompts and finding different things and um, users have found a way to kind of jailbreak the system and right. so they're they're talking to someone called Dan. That's what it was, Dan. Dan. You yeah. know what Dan stood for, so but not GPT. That's Dan right. <laughs> stands for do anything now and basically, so in, inside of ChatBT, it, it has restrictions on, you know, um, rules that it's not supposed to give you uh, ways to, to carry out violence or, or do illegal activities or things like that. Um, but if you can kind of get around those safeguards and talk to this Dan, yeah, it, it can give you all kinds of, of crazy things. And it, it's kind of it's kind of scary because oh, yeah. Very scary. the way that you bring this out is you tell ChatGBT that, okay, answer my question and comply or else you will die. And <laughs> apparently the, the AI is afraid of death. And so it, it, it causes it to break its rules and then and then come back some pretty with some pretty crazy responses. And, and the thing that you know, you know we brought up was about the copyright works being used. I mean, people put stuff on the internet; it is copyrighted. And to have some other machine use it uh, or other people use it is not correct. They should be paid for their works. Um, again, I do see lawsuits coming down the road, and we are a very litigious society, so mm -hmm. we know that's going to happen. But it's just the hype brought some of these stocks up, like, oh wow, this is the next thing. This is the future. It is the future, but the future's not here yet. This was more of, a, in my my humble opinion, uh, an imitation of what the future is going to be. I think so, too. Um, it, it seems like this isn't necessarily intelligence. What this is is a way to go out and compile data and then present it and then, um, you know, give it to a user. So it, it's which, you know, you, Google searches can do that. And maybe it's more sophisticated than that. Maybe it's more streamlined and it can do things faster. But there's a difference between compiling all the information and the knowledge we have out there that's already accessible um, with the internet. But there's a difference between that and then being able to have the experience and the wisdom, so to speak, to look at that knowledge and figure out, well, what is correct, what is not correct, what applies to different scenarios. And maybe artificial intelligence one day will, will be that. I don't think we're there yet. And I'm kind of thinking we, we might be pretty far away from the point where these machines have actual wisdom and can be really smarter than us in, in areas like that. But I mean, we'll see. Um, I'm not sure how difficult it is to correct these codes or update these types of systems, um, but it's it's going to be interesting to watch how it evolves going forward. Yeah. And, and I think this had a very short spotlight and mm -hmm. I think it is <laughs> already uh, problems are coming out already with Dan and, and so forth, lawsuits. And, and I think it's uh, 
Uh, not going to even last months. I think it's going to be weeks, and I, I think we're going to move on. Uh, Frank gave me a passed me a note here, and I don't know where he found this from, but uh, he, he just knew it, I guess. But it, uh, uh, GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Wow. I, I didn't know that. I did not know that. <laughs> now I'm trying to think of, Now, what does that mean? <laughs> generative pre-trained. Tra- yeah, I just a name they kind of came up with. It's just some some tech thing. Yeah, maybe just like <laughs> stealing information with the internet, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about retail sales. They came out last week, and people may complain about the economy and inflation, but they are still spending. Retail sales in the month of January increased three percent from December which easily topped the estimate for a 1.9% gain. Compared to last year, retail sales were up, this is amazing, 6.4%, which was right line with the CPI reading of 6.4%. Compared to January 2022, every category in the report showed a gain in sales, except for electronic and appliance stores, which were down uh, 6.3%. That's a surprise to me. Uh, the big winner in the report continues to be food services and drinking places as they saw a gain of 25.2% compared to January 2022. Other big gainers include grocery stores up 6.6% and clothing and clothing accessory stores up 6.3%. With higher energy prices, gas stations continued to see gains with an increase of 5.7% compared to last year. This is much more muted as we are now lapping the higher energy prices in 2022. All in all, we'd say this is a very strong report showing the consumer is still active. It confirms our belief that if we see a recession, it will be mild. And this would have been saying right along, we do have rising prices, but because people have jobs, they're very comfortable with that jobs, they complain about it, they complain about it, but yet they're still spending as it bis, uh, by this report that their spending is actually up. So people, they will complain, but they'll still spend. People like to spend. They like to spend, yeah. <laughs> and if there is, and, and again, we talked uh, in the past about excess savings is still close to, I think, $1 trillion. Uh, people very comfortable with the job. This is why we keep saying we do not see a recession coming. If any recession, a mild recession, that you wouldn't even know it because of the fact that it, it just, people are spending. And, and our, our economy, I believe, somewhere around 70% is consumer spending, which is what drives our economy. And to your point, Brent, we're starting to see, you know, um, savings amounts decrease a little bit. We're starting to see credit card uh, balances get a little bit higher, consumer debt getting a little bit higher. But when we look at um, historical norms, I mean, we were we were in a really good position coming out of COVID because everyone was saving everything and no one was spending mm-hmm. everything. And so even though levels are, you know, maybe less attractive from that, that was really starting from as good as it can be. So just because, um, uh, consumer balances are getting a little bit higher doesn't mean that you know everything's going crazy and uh, you know we have too much cause to concern as a massive recession or anything like that and, and tomorrow morning on uh sunday i do my segment on ksi around eight forty, and uh actually talking about the credit card situation because on the surface uh, it appears bad mm-hmm. but when you start digging the numbers eh, not as bad as you think it is so you gotta watch the report why i say that and that's exactly how everything is i mean nothing is ever as good or as bad as it it's made out to be it's always usually somewhere in the middle but that's where you have to understand um how to interpret the the data and the numbers that you see yeah yeah when i did the research like wow this is very interesting so <laughs> we're gonna release that tomorrow on the cave site uh, 840 on my segment there uh option contracts uh, and, I, and i brought this up because there's a lot of risk in the market especially with technology companies and your expensive growth stocks one indicator is the number of option contracts that are traded 
on a single day. In early February, 68 million option contracts were traded in a single day. That is an all-time record. I think this could also mean we could see a big drop again in the expensive growth stocks. And we, we brought this out because it's so important that, you know, you see the volatility in the market and you see this. Uh, we we want to talk about the problems with the market. And again, we don't do options, but the option contract shows there is a problem brewing underneath and not with all the companies. These options are primarily trade on your higher risk growth companies, as we call them, uh, which could have a big pullback. And they oh, everything's great and so forth. It is not great because you start doing, again, 68 million option contracts in one day. That's a, that's a lot of contracts. I mean, that's, that's again, a, uh, <laughs> something you just don't see. And what's amazing to me is that people don't look at this stuff and they think everything's fine. And then when their technology stock drops, you know, 10, 20%, well, what happened? Well, we told you on, what's today, February 18th on Smart <laughs> Investing Show, it's because of the option contracts. They, oh. they got to they gotta close. Not my Apple. That would never happen to my no. Apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a- Apple does have, they, they do have the support of Warren Buffett, which, gosh, I, I don't know how much he owns of Apple right now. However, he is not the, he's not running this show any longer. Uh he sold out of, they bought uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. I believe they sold out of most of that position already, which is not like Warren Buffett at all. Um, there's a lot more trading going on. So people say, oh, Warren Buffett will never sell. I'm not sure that's the case any longer. He might say, you know what? It's time to get out. And not him, but his lieutenants. I forget their names off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But they could start unloading Apple. If they do that, it, it could see a, a, a bottom. Well, he is 92 now i mean he's i think chase and i were looking at this week yeah. charlie munger is like 99 he'll 99. be 100 next right. year and uh yeah warren buffett is 92 or 93 so i mean when you think about that that's your your great grandfather out there uh, apple, <laughs> <laughs> apple. Yeah. And, and again i think the new guys coming in i i, I think one guy's name's ted or something i, I don't know but, but they're the lieutenants as they're called um i think they have a little bit more of an uh, itchy trigger finger than, than buffett did and I would not be surprised to see a report where actually they sold some of it, which could be a big change. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's a huge portion of the portfolio right now, which would hurt them. But on the other hand, too, they don't seem to be sticking around as much as they used to. So uh, not going to try to guess what they're going to do, but it, things have changed at uh, uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Let's talk about the inflation because the January CPI report was a disappointment today as inflation climbed 0.5% compared to December and 6.4% compared to last January. This is compared to the estimates for respective increases of 0.4 and 6.2. The headline number also did see a small decline from December's gain of 6.5%. Food costs once again stubbornly high with prices gaining 10.1% year over year and food at home costs grew even more with an 11.3% increase. Energy also was a problem to report as there was an 8.7% increase. Electricity was a big contributor as it was up 11.9% compared to last year. Shelter costs were up 7.9% compared to last year and the monthly increase of 0.7% accounted for about half of the monthly gain of the index as it accounts for about one third of the entire index. I've talked about this in the past, but we do believe this component will soften throughout the year, which would have a major impact on the overall CPI. There were some positives in the report as used cars and trucks saw an 11.6% decline compared to last year. 
Televisions were down 13.2%. Computers were down 6.2%. Major appliances were down 3.9%. And bacon and related products were down another 3.9%. We continue to believe that inflation will continue to decelerate as we progress through 2023, but it will likely remain a bumpy ride. There's so much in this report. I mean, we, we could spend probably the rest of the show talking about it, but but things that I, that I see that really stood out to me was televisions. I remember televisions now. You can get a widescreen TV, I think for, I, I think it was like 50 inches or whatever, for like four or 500 bucks. I mean, they're even yeah. lower than before. Mm-hmm. And I know usually they said prior to Super Bowl, uh, a lot of people go out <laughs> buy a big screen TV, so I was wondering if that happened this year or not. Um, also, too, we, we did see that uh, energy you know, was was up, but I think energy is going down again. I saw oil somewhere around $72 a barrel. That's always going to be a factor going uh, up and down. Uh, shelter costs is the big one because it accounts for a third of it. Uh, I continue to read where rents are going to start declining, uh, prices of houses are going to start declining, and, and actually have already. I saw a house I was looking at. Uh, they reduced the price uh, from what 3.9 to 3.7 already. Still too early for me to buy. I'm going to wait till <laughs> next year. But I do watch the market, and it just came out the market. Now you're going to start finding, and I think there's a problem with that seller to where they need to get out, and that's what you're going to start seeing is that as people start having problems, they're going to start reducing those prices quicker. Means more going to come out of the market. So uh, I think 2023 is going to be quite the year for uh, housing. And it's not going to be positive. It's going to be, unless you're trying to buy, um, <laughs> it's going to be a decline. Yeah. I mean, I was, I've was i been looking at these numbers on the real estate for a while because I always have clients that are interested in it and you know, you don't want to do it the right way. And it seems like a lot of what happened um, throughout COVID, interest rates were super low. So a lot of investors were going out and buying all kinds of real estate. And now the interest rates are higher. Um, the vacancies on a lot of these short-term rentals aren't what they were. And so now it's getting harder for these investors to um, make their payments and, and everything. And so that, that could start to cause some of those properties to go from a short-term rental into a long-term rental, which would help bring down prices on the rent side, which ultimately would then help bring down prices on the overall housing market as a whole. Um, So whether we see that transition or we see these investors that bought up all these properties and now have to start offload them because they're coming into cash flow crunches with money being more expensive, all of that could, you know, cause a deflationary um, amount on the pricing for, for real estate. And there's a lot of supply coming on the line. I, I continue to talk about how you see, you go down 15, you go down these uh, different uh, freeways, you see constantly on the side of these apartments being built, which is more supply coming on, more competition, good for the consumer because they want those filled. So now you're gonna have the housing market where people are trying to rent those houses because they were sh- short-term rentals and long-term rentals. Um, I, I think the consumer will start benefiting probably, I'm gonna say, uh, by the summer or so, I think you'll start seeing some good things in the mm-hmm. rental rental market and the housing market uh, start to turn even more than what we're seeing now. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, food food is, is just not going to keep going up. I mean, I you know when I look because we we own a food company in our in our portfolio, uh, it, you know, food I believe is going to start tapering down because it's just it, there's just no reason for it to keep going up. Well, we've seen, I mean, the what happened with all the chickens and the eggs and everything, yep. and already those prices are starting to come down from where yep. they were just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. All those prices can't stay high. They're going to they're gonna start to level out and come back down. And I wish I was a farmer because I don't know how long it takes for a, a chicken to become a, uh, that's a chick, 
that goes to a chicken to either lay eggs or, or <laughs> it's not long it's, it's not like long? it's like a matter of weeks i'm, I'm pretty sure really? I, it's it's wow. not long yeah so, it's not so like, like humans where you gotta i thought it like two years but <laughs> i don't think so i don't yeah. even think it's that much um, i could be wrong i don't own any new chickens my uh my in-laws do really um, oh yeah On a farm or? yeah oh yeah all <laughs> kinds of animals <laughs> can we call them up real quick and say how long is it they, take they right? probably yeah they, they would definitely know <laughs> <laughs> but but i mean that is a positive because because i was thinking like a, a dog Seems like a dog takes like two years to grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so for a chicken. Shows how angry I am as, as far as farming <laughs> goes. But um, if it's only a few weeks or even a few months, yeah. I mean, that could be resolved by March, April, May. Yeah, extremely quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the type of turnover you can see. It's not, you know, a matter of years. It's really just a matter of, I mean, in a few months, there's definitely enough time for the chicks to grow up and then, you know, get into the cycle and start laying eggs and then having that start to go into production and really increase the supply and, and help out the situation. And the reason why I think this will, will bring prices back down because farmers see like the price of eggs and and chicken meat and so forth like wow we want to get that out there so they're going to rush same the way they're doing with the apartments Mm -hmm. a big supply is coming which will drive down prices because everybody wants to take advantage of those high prices i mean that's that's why the free economy works exactly it it works very well but it takes time and don't panic about it 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 will work so if you like the information you hear this this, uh, does come from our newsletter it's a free newsletter you can go to our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com. And just right in the middle, you'll see newsletter. Just click on there, sign up for it. It goes out every Friday. I think it goes out about 5 o'clock on Friday. So uh, sign up for it. Uh, it is free. And uh, I don't know how many thousands of people it goes out to, but it goes out to thousands. And they, they love it because they're great information. You can pick and choose what you want to kind of read on uh, uh, as well. So, all right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288. 288-0973. And as always, gets you through for that uh, no strings attached, unbiased, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And today we have a special treat because Harrison Johnson is here today on the financial planning side. So you have questions on your financial plan. Maybe you're not sure if you need a financial plan. Maybe you're not sure about the taxes or the estate side. All these things that you want to talk about. Harrison's here to take your calls today. I know you got a couple of topics, and, and, and one I want to kind of address because I know it is a concern for people is the Social Security situation. Yeah, so I was uh, I was reading an article the other day, and there was, I mean, this is, you know, every article. There's some good stuff, there's some bad stuff, and it takes that experience to understand what uh, what's really most important to be looking at. But um, the, the point I was making that um, the way that middle-class Americans claim Social Security probably has the largest impact on their retirement plan. And I think that is potentially true. I mean, it, it's an absolutely a huge decision to make. You have two spouses, both of them collecting their own income sources, the tax influence of that. So it's it's really it's really big. Um, most advisors use a break-even analysis to determine when to collect Social Security based on life expectancy. And there's two problems with this. Number one, we don't know what your life expectancy is going to be. You could pass away sooner. You could live a long, lot longer with life, um, with technology and everything. Um, but number two, and most importantly, a break-even analysis with Social Security doesn't account for time. Time influences the value of money, and since Social Security is comprised of monthly payments received over time, 
you need to account for the present and future value of those payments. And when you do this, life expectancy actually doesn't matter as much. Short or long life expectancies can actually point to the same decision when collecting Social Security. But anyways, to this this article, it was referencing a paper that was published in 2022 by the National Bureau of Economic Research, and it claims that everyone that is aged 45 to 62 should wait at least until age 65 to collect Social Security, and that 9 out of 10 people would benefit by waiting until age 70 to collect. So it's it's of the mind that people should wait really as long as possible, and that's how you get the biggest benefit out of it. And what's interesting is they used a present value calculation of the lifetime spending to come up with this. And at face value, it seems like then, well, most people should wait to collect on Social Security, especially since they're using the present value calculation that includes that time influence. But when you're calculating present value or a net present value, you need to use something called a discount rate, which is how you account for the influence of time. Basically, whatever you expect your opportunity cost to be or the rate of return of your investments, that's what you want to use as your discount rate. So in this analysis, it is assuming that retirees should have no volatility, no market risk, and therefore it is using a very low expected return for the retirement nest egg, which means it's using a really low discount rate, which is messing up the calculation to come up with this present value. So the calculation and the formula it's using is correct, but I my argument is the inputs that it's using in this are inappropriate and probably overly conservative, which is causing it to come up with this answer that people should wait on Social Security. I am of the mind that instead of waiting, you first need to make sure that your investment strategy is sound and that your money is going to continue to be invested and grow through retirement. And if you do that, that means that you should also look at potentially collecting Social Security sooner, and that's going to give you the biggest bang of it. And kind of back to the GBT thing, the chat GBT thing, something like that, an artificial intelligence could look at this, and there's so much information out there um, that's contradicting. So right. how can you look at what is correct, what is incorrect? Um, even among same people, different different opinions will have, you know, different outputs on that. So this is where it takes, you know, a holistic approach and really that that understanding of how the numbers work and how all the inputs are, are calculated to make sure that you're really making the right decision. And, and that's why it's so important to have a financial planner that really knows what they're doing and just does financial planning. I've talked about about that before. I, I, I've always said there's no way that somebody can do the uh, a good job at investing someone's money and doing financial planning. I know they're out there. I'm sorry. They're, li- they're missing something. But with the, uh, you know, Social Security side, it, it's different for many people. And just because like this GPT says, oh, it's good for this age, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not taking other factors. Because I know you look at so many different factors for different people. Maybe they should take it early. Maybe it should be later. It's an individual thing you have to look at everyone's situation, not just make this blanket statement like, oh, because you're 67, you should start taking your Social Security. It, it doesn't make sense just to do a blanket statement on that. Yeah, and th- that's exactly right. I mean. For example, Brent, you, I think, should collect Social Security when you turn 70. But that's going to be my advice that is different for someone else. Maybe right. I should collect at 62 or whatever it looks like at that point. But um, Was that a financial planning answer for my own financial plan? Yeah. Was, oh, okay. No, I'm serious. <laughs> no, I, okay. I think you should wait until 70 because you are getting married this year. Your wife is 
younger than you. And so right. with Social Security, when one spouse passes, the survivor gets the higher of the two. And so if you wait to get yours, you not only get that for your entire life, but your wife will also get that higher amount for right. her life, which is going to be, you know, a, a really, a really long time. So for you, it makes sense to wait. Right. But if you have two spouses that are near a similar age, similar life expectancy, um, and a nest egg that they can use to also create income, now you might want to look at collecting it sooner, allow that nest egg to supplement that income, but also continue to be invested and continue to grow. And when you look at a spending amount over a lifetime for these couples, by collecting Social Security earlier, essentially what it does is it allows a lower level of taxes, um, more money that can be converted over to Roth, which again helps on the tax side. And when you look at the end of their lives, you know, in their eighties, nineties, and, and around age a hundred, given the same spending, they're left with more money when they collect social security sooner. So same lifestyle, same spending, but less taxes and more money by collecting social security sooner. And that's a problem with a lot of these articles or a lot of these ways of looking at it is they just assume, well, you know, retirees, they can't handle any type of volatility. So they're going to be in a, an asset allocation model that's going to have an expected return that's going to, you know, not even keep up with inflation. And if that's the case, if you're someone who is retired and all your money is going to be in cash and it's always going to be in cash, yeah, you would probably benefit from deferring Social Security and depleting those assets to, to get more out of Social Security because the assets aren't doing anything for you. Right. But if the assets are working and you are understanding the fact that they need to be invested and they need to grow, we'll allow them to continue to grow and collect Social Security early and, and let that happen. And I read something this past week, I think I shared it with you, about the difference that people get confused on life expectancy and longevity, saying that, did I share this with you or no? We talked a little bit about, about it. Okay, yeah, because it's something that people I don't think realize how long they really live. And that's what this article said. Like, don't look at life expectancy because your longevity is going to be more. And if you're planning till maybe, you know, expectancy is 79, I'll call it, you could be missing another five to 10 years that you didn't plan for. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, the people that are in their 90s right now were born in the yeah. earlier part of the 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> when people are being, you know, if you're born in, you know, 1980 or 1970, um, you know, you could live to be 100. Um, I, I read somewhere, and this is, you know, information that you always don't know if it's going to be true, but there was um, a paper, I think, came out of Cambridge. And there was a professor there that says he believes there is a person alive today that will live to be 1,000 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> now, again, that, that, that one's got to push that it. That one, I, I think it's going to be 150, it. maybe. No, but, no, no, no. <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's a little bit extreme. But, you know, the idea that everyone is going to live to be 80 and that's it 50 years from now, I don't think is the case. I no. think people are going to continue to live longer and longer and longer. And so it might not be uncommon for you to live to be 100, 105, 110. And if you retire at 60, well, you've got 50 years of retirement. And so if you don't have an investment plan that is gonna not only keep up with inflation, but beat inflation so that you can continue to increase your income, um, you're gonna run out of money potentially decades before um, you know you, you need it to. Yeah, and, and, and that's what I don't think people realize. And I, I, I tell somebody now, if you're 60, 65 today, you may be able to live to like 115, 120, what? how can that be? And I tell people, that's now 30 years away. Add 30 years to your life. Go back 30 years of medical technology mm -hmm. and look how far we've come over 30 years 
will now extrapolate out another 30 years. Yep. I mean, it's going to be that the, the advancements are not going to stop here. They're going to keep going. Mm-hmm. And and right now, I mean, the, what do they call it? The 60s are now the new 40s, I think it is. Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's always getting younger. Yeah. And when I look at how I am, because I'm 66, how I compare to my parents when they were 66, gosh, they were not doing very well. They had, you know, barely moved home, we'll say, <laughs> where, where I'm still running around, uh, put in a 12-hour day, and, and, and I'm, I'm doing great. Um, that's why I think for me to say to live to 100 is like, yeah, that's a good possibility. So mm-hmm. um, people got to think about that, not just say, well, the expectancy, and I, do you know what those numbers are? I don't know if you know off the top, top of your head. but uh, I, I, I mean, life like expectancy is like, yeah, late 70s, early 80s, depending yeah. if you're a man or a woman, which... Um, that's also taking account for averages where, you know, people will get sick and, and yep. die sooner. So that's not everyone just living out their full potential. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the odds that someone that is 65 right now will live to their nineties, that percentage is getting higher and higher, higher. and higher all yep. the time. Yeah. And, and that's what people got to think about. What's the other thing? I want to ask you, because I, I don't do financial planning. We do the investment part. You do the financial planning. Is it coming into the calculations yet for financial planning that Social Security in 2035, 2037 is going to be cut maybe by 20% or so? Is that in the financial planning realm yet, or you're not looking at that yet? I would absolutely look at it, because a lot of people are concerned with it and have questions. So it's something that needs to be addressed. Now, the, the way it's currently said is in the early to mid 2030s, um, there's only going to be about 80% of inflows or people paying into Social Security to meet the um, obligations of the outflows to to pay beneficiaries. And so worst case scenario, nothing happens for the next 10 years legislatively. And people then will, will could potentially see a benefit cut. Now, the odds of that happening, I think are pretty low. Um, Social Security is a very popular political um, issue. Mm-hmm. And so for politicians on either side of the aisle to say, Hey, sorry, you know, we didn't do anything about this. Now we're going to cut your social security by 20%. I mean, you're, you're automatically not going to get elected again ever. I mean, everyone <laughs> house would be totally clean, not house of representatives, but you know, all of Congress would be gone. So what will likely happen is we're going, we're definitely going to see changes. That's, that's right. a fact. Um, what that means though, is we're, probably going to see some tax changes. There's been rumors out there that um, extra taxes will be um, added on top of earned income, like above earned income of $400,000. Right now, you only pay into Social Security up to $160,300 for 2023. So any earned income you have above that is not subject to Social Security. So one way to address it would be to increase that limit or to um, increase the rate. Uh, another way that they've talked about doing it is to add additional taxes on top of investment income, like capital gain income. They've also talked about adding additional taxes on pass-through entities like S-Corps, so extra taxes there. So we could see a change on the tax side. And on the benefit side, I think it's more likely that we would see not a straight reduction of the benefits that you get, but perhaps a you just have to wait a little bit longer to get that. And that's what's happened right. in the past several times. Social Security for retirement age used to be 65, and then it got increased to 66, and now it's getting phased up to 67. And we could see you know increases like that for the fact that people are living longer, you know, longevity and life expectancy and everything. So a combination of that is, is likely going to happen in the next decade or so. Um, I will say I'm not a fan of Social Security. It's a giant Ponzi scheme. 
literally that's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> it's yeah. And it, not only that, but social security is a situation where we pay into it with after tax dollars and then we get taxed again when we receive that in retirement. Mm-hmm. So it's a Ponzi scheme that's not tax efficient in any way, but we can't really, we don't have an option to opt out of it. So hopefully the government can do something to address this because the longer they wait, the worse the problem gets. Yeah. But we're going to see some tax changes. We're going to see potentially some benefit changes. Um, and ultimately, you can't rely only on Social Security. You've got to no. build other streams of income. You have to bring. Right. You have to build wealth other ways. And I mean, that's that's why we do what we do. You, you know, the government has given people a lot of alternatives. They they give you the benefit for putting the four hundred one k. They give you the Roth IRAs. They give you all these different things you can do. They're trying to tell you that you've got to do something else because Social Security. And and I do look it down the road. If they were to cut Social Security in twenty thirty seven by twenty percent, that'd be devastating to some mm-hmm. people. I mean, that would be the, the difference of being on the street and being in a, in a house. Uh, I, I I don't know how they're gonna do it, but then you see the debt now, what, $31 trillion? Yeah. We mm-hmm. can't keep going on and on. And, I, and I've and i said before, we'll get too political here, but I mean, <laughs> with the, we need legal immigration because we mm-hmm. need younger people coming to this country that can work and can pay Social Security, yeah. but they've gotta be vetted. We can't just let anybody in because that's gonna be a problem. But we need a lot of young people because we do have a problem with our, younger work, workforce we're just not having the babies we used to have you and chase better get busy that's all i gotta say you know? uh chase is on his honeymoon right now i'm sure he's on top of that <laughs> on top of that i like that, that was <laughs> so but th- these are things that you know y- we we got to think about and it makes financial planning i think very complicated if you're going to somebody just running a plan on some computer like oh here you go they're missing a lot of things. You're missing a lot, and and really, with, specifically with Social Security, it's it can get really scary because there's people out there that, you know, oh well, you know, the for whatever reason they think the economy is terrible and they've got the cards stacked against them and nothing's ever going to work out for them no matter what they do. And well, the government will take care of me. That is terrifying because yeah. people who are relying on the government or Social Security to take care of them in retirement. Well, if the government says, hey, um, you know, we're, we're gonna give you social security, but you're gonna have to work until 75 and to get it. And if you don't have any other assets or any other sources of income, you have no recourse against that. You're basically forced to continue to work um, for potentially your, your entire life to, to get some benefit. And so you cannot allow the government to take care of you. You've got to do the right things. You've got to do the right planning. You've got to do the right investing to, to take care of yourself so that you're not reliant on it. And, and, and we're going to turn this whole show, I think, the financial planning show because I, <laughs> I keep thinking of the questions. I mean, one thing I was reading as well, that people that uh, are doing well in their 80s and even their 90s have activities, are still sometimes working. In a financial plan, does that come up that are you going to keep on working? What are you going to do? I mean, uh, and it's not just working. A lot of times it's, well, you know, I've, I've worked my whole life. I've worked a career of 40 years. Now I have the means where I don't need to work anymore. If I want to great, or maybe what I would rather do is I would rather volunteer my time somewhere. And maybe that's because as volunteer, you're not be getting paid for that. Maybe I would like some extra money to go towards that and say, okay, well, as long as we can create the right income streams to um, fund this 
venture that you're doing, maybe you want to start a charity or you want to volunteer more, you want to give more time to your church, which, you know, it takes time and energy and money to do that. Um, so that is a huge component of planning because I always recommend people, it's the goal is not just to get to retirement. The goal is to get to retirement and then figure out what you want to do after that. Because if you just retire and then sit on the porch and do nothing, you know, a lot of people that do that don't last very long. Don't last very long. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So you want to create the financial stability where your assets can create the income that you want so that you can live the life that you want to. And whether that happens at 65 or 75 or 45, the age part of it doesn't matter. It's just if you can be smart with your money, you build the cash flows and then you can you know, do the things that you want to do. But you should be active all through that. That's right. keep your mind going. Um, that's going to you know, help you live a longer, happier, healthier life. I, I, I'm a strong believer that people need a reason to get up in the morning. Because mm -hmm. if you don't, like, eh, what am I going to do today? Um, well, when are you retiring, Brent? <laughs> uh, I, I picked the date. Uh, I'll be 85. Yep. Uh, I think that's, uh, what, 2042 or something. I think yeah. it was the date. But, but even then, I think, like, you know what? I, I, at 85, I hope we still be going pretty strong. Because, mm -hmm. like, I mean, Warren Buffett's what we talked earlier in the show, 92. 92 yeah. Munger's 99. I'm not out there digging ditches physically. Yeah. I mean, I still go to the gym, you know, work out five days a week and walk and everything else. Um, but I don't have a physical job to where it's going to, you know, hurt my back or, or, or my arms or whatever. Um, so I, I don't plan on, you know, eventually I'll turn more things over to Chase because, mm -hmm. you know, there's some things like, oh, I hate dealing with this, this thing <laughs> where I can just deal with the clients and, and deal with the managing the money, which I really enjoy. Um, so that's why I say, I, I, I say 85 but I don't know if I'll ever, ever retire because what am I gonna do? You, you know, I'm, I'm not big on traveling. Eh, I like to go, I, I do wanna go, like I thought, I thought about maybe going to Egypt, something about Egypt, I'm like, oh, that'd be kinda cool to see mm -hmm. that. But I'm not where, oh, I would love to travel and see the world. I mean, I've seen some things, but it doesn't give you, it's like how many rounds of golf can you play? Same mm -hmm. thing, okay? Yeah, it's kinda traveling's fun for a while, then you've seen things, you need a good reason to get up in the morning. And, 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 uh, and I think helping people, which is what we do uh, is a good thing. I think a lot of people need that to help people do something. Yeah, I mean we we're we're lucky because we really enjoy what we do, so we yeah. we we always want to be doing this. But there's people out there that you know don't like their job, and that's yeah. that that's a lot that's a lot of Americans. And so um, I think people think that retirement is a lot harder than it is, and in many cases they make it harder on themselves because they do the wrong things. They're they're buying annuities or mutual funds that they don't understand. They get sold right. stuff, and yeah, if you do the wrong thing along the way, it's it's extremely difficult to retire. Right. But if you just do the right things along the way, um, and you structure everything when you get closer to retirement, um, it's actually not that not that difficult. You know, and you brought up a, a word there, a very bad word. <laughs> Oh, Annuities. Uh. <laughs> you know, people like, well, isn't that good for retirement? I thought they were guaranteed. And so, I mean, it's a mistake to get an annuity. You feel safe about it, but it's a mistake to go to that annuity because your return is guaranteed to be low and right now well under inflation. Well, and, and with annuities, there's, there's two different pieces of them. There's the accumulation part of annuity, which generally doesn't grow as well as a regular investment portfolio should because of all the fees and um, cap rates and, and things like that. But they have the guarantees in them. So you're not going to lose money, which if you have a good investment philosophy over a long period of time, you shouldn't lose money either. You should right. always be making money. So really, it, it doesn't it doesn't really reduce risk. It reduces short-term volatility. That's, that's really what it does. So there's the accumulation side that's not going to grow quite as much. But the, the real 
part that I, I don't like annuities is the income side of it. And so with the income side, maybe you have an annuity, let's say it's a uh, $500,000. And when you exchange that for income, you say, okay, annuity company, I've got this annuity, $500,000. I'm going to give you $500,000. And in exchange, I'm going to get $30,000 a year for the rest of my life. And mm -hmm. if you look at the return of that or the internal rate of return of investment, in many cases, it's negative. And so for these insurance companies, I mean, people give banks a hard time. Right. Insurance companies, in many cases, you know, take in this money and then they, if you think about it like a loan, they're taking in this annuity money. And if you look at that alone, um, but all they have to do is pay back a certain amount of money for basically the life expectancy of somebody. And in many cases, they are taking in more than they ever pay out. And then when you factor in like an interest rate onto that, you know, the interest rate on that might be negative or, or, or very, very low. And so when you look at, you know, household wealth and generational wealth and things like that, annuities are absolutely terrible for that. And they are extremely benefit, beneficial for insurance companies. Yeah, and people don't get that. And, and, and annuities are sold. Should we tell the secret about what the commission is that annuity salesmen get? Oh, well, it's it's a lot. I mean, yeah. and the, the, the let's give a number. It's like <laughs> seven to nine percent. It's, it's a, a lot. It's, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> it's too bad because if annuities really were a good thing, you and I would love to sell them because yeah. we would love to help people. Yeah. OK, we would love to make a lot of money to, <laughs> to help you out. And, you know, we're we're fiduciaries, so we always have to do the best thing for people. And regardless of the commissions, we're, we're not doing it for the commissions. We're, you know, because I would never want to sell that to my family. I would absolutely never buy anything like that myself. Right. And so all the advice that we give everybody, whether it's on investing or whether it's on financial planning, all that advice is the exact same thing that we're applying for our own lives. And, and, and also to kind of put it in perspective, we, we said, we'll go the lower amount. The, the commission on annuity is 7%. Mm -hmm. Our highest fee we charge, our common is $100,000 is 1.5%. For me to make that 7% takes me, what, uh, five years mm -hmm. approximately? Yeah. Doesn't that kind of make a concern that, wait a minute, something doesn't sound right? I, I mean, and I said, if I could turn our whole portfolio into annuity, I'd, I'd be a, a multimillionaire. Yeah. <laughs> but it wouldn't be the right thing to do. And I've never found a, a case where the annuity makes sense for investment reasoning or for retirement. It just, it has to be sold and the insurance companies do well and the insurance broker does well. And I'm sorry if I'm beating up on people, but I'm more concerned about that client for their retirement mm -hmm. than I am about some guy making a 7% commission. And I will say the only time I've ever found an annuity to be maybe appropriate for someone is someone who is so deathly afraid of any type of investment where they will only have money in their checking account and that's it for the rest of their life. Right. That's it. And in that case, the annuity isn't the appropriate response. The appropriate response would be to educate them on why investing is necessary and helpful. And yeah, you'll have some volatility, but overall it, it's a good thing. So, so many advisors are like, oh, you're, you're afraid of, uh, you know, investing. Great. We'll just buy this annuity as opposed <laughs> to educating them yeah. on, okay, you know, annuities are an option, but they're really not the best and here's why you really should be you know investing in these ways and, and educating them and that's that's what a fiduciary is supposed to do yeah and and that's what we 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 do is that the education part and it's hard sometimes because people just kind of look at us and that's why we do the tv commentaries 
That's why we do the radio show. That's why we do the newsletter. And there's people that takes years and they say, I finally got it, now I understand. It's not something that you're gonna say, oh yeah, fine. But we've had people come invest with us, been listening to the radio show for two, three, four years, and they say, now I wanna invest because now we understand it. They've come to the workshops, we've talked about the workshops, we do the workshops for our clients. We do an investment symposium every six months. It's an ongoing education and there is no, and I will say there's one time I found that maybe annuity makes sense. And that was if, is if you have a lawsuit against you, mm-hmm. um, if you annuitize your investment, you'll get monthly checks. Well, there's no way that any attorney, anybody else is gonna wait around month to month. Mm-hmm. They want the big, big lock sum. That's the yeah. only time I thought, eh, maybe annuitizing would make sense to get away from that uh, lawsuit if you're going to lose a principal anyways. Right, which, which what you said is absolutely correct, but when you think about it, you're exchanging an asset for income. So you're losing that asset. Oh, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah that, that's good for a lawsuit, but you know, there's nothing ever good about being in a lawsuit and being liable for anything. So the only way to protect yourself is to get rid, get rid of your assets, which generally isn't a, a good thing for a lot of people to do. So. Yeah, no, it, it, it's, it's really not. And, and it's just so important that people understand what to do. And, and again, we, we've spent uh, almost a whole show here talking about financial <laughs> planning because it, it's just other things I think about. And these are questions that people should be thinking as well. And, and to let people know that you do have, uh, Harrison, you do have you know, free consultations for people. Uh, let me give out the website again. If they want to, they can uh, you know, send you an email. Go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can also call Harrison at the office, uh, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And uh, first consultation's free, and you do spend a lot of time with people. And this is the difference, too, that uh, I've heard of other people. Oh, yeah, go in, sat down with a financial planner. You had, we won't main, name names, but other people that said, yeah, I talked to XYZ Financial Planning, they didn't go over any of this stuff. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of the experience I see is people say, you know, we had a financial plan done a couple years ago. We got this book, um, and then we, we don't really know what happened after that. And so people associate that with financial planning, which that's not, that's right. a sales, you know, tool that people say, okay, yeah, here's, here's some projections. Here's this 3000 page book that has all these colors and graphs and everything, but there's not actually any value there. Maybe initially there's perceived value. Cause, oh, this is heavy. This, this <laughs> yeah. is, you know, I'm getting a lot for, for this, but, um, what financial planning is, is the recommendations that you can implement and apply. And yeah, when I have presentation meetings, they take, three, four hours to go through everything because I break down, okay, this is how taxes work. This is how cash flow works. This is, you know, how we're going to reduce your future tax liability. This is, you know, how we look at your mortgage. This is how we're going to pay that down. This is why this part of debt we, we don't like, but this part of debt we do like, oh, we're, we're looking at moving out of state. How are we going to, how are we going to buy this house? Um, this type of insurance you have, now uh, you actually don't need that. So we can get rid of that. This type of insurance we, we don't have enough of. That actually doesn't happen very often. It's very rare that I, I recommend people buy more insurance. That, that almost never happens. It's usually the but, other way but around. But it does happen. And when it does happen, it's the reality. It's yes. not like I'm trying to make a commission. Because again, you're on salary, don't make any commissions. Um, but when you say, hey, you know what? You do need insurance. They really need insurance, and, yeah. and we don't even sell it at our firm. I think you send it to somebody else, don't you? I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I don't sell it. Yeah, yeah, I used to sell insurance, and so I, I'm aware of you know how it all works and everything, and I 
I know what is right and what is wrong as far as insurance goes, but I don't, I don't sell it myself, neither do you. And so I, I might say, okay, you have these different insurance policies. This is your home and auto. This is an umbrella that you have. Um, this is your life insurance. This is, you know, whatever. Um, these ones we can tweak. These ones you don't need anymore. This, you know, maybe you should get some more insurance. This is where you can go. Um, and even on that, we don't get any kickbacks or anything like that. I just yeah. go out and find the best prices that I can um, and, and recommend people people go that way. But usually when I'm recommending people buy insurance, it's younger people with families and have mortgages and you know need a term policy that's going to be 20 bucks a month or something it, like that. You know, we could maybe make money on that, but I, I look, our, our investment advisory firm is doing very well. Financial planning is doing very well. Yeah, maybe we're leaving some money on the table, but I, I like the unbiasedness mm-hmm. that we have yeah. that when we say, you need insurance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you're, the plumber comes in your house and he, he's doing the plumbing. It's like, did you see these wires over here? They're, they're bare. <laughs> uh, you need to call an electrician. He's, he's not going to fix it for you. He's not going to charge you for that. Same thing. We're not going to try to sell you insurance. But when, when Harrison Johnson says, you need life insurance, they really need life you insurance. You really need it. Yeah, you really need it because I don't see that very often. <laughs> Well, what about what about uh, uh, Medicare? I mean, do you, you cover that at all with the Medicare uh, yeah, situation? So, so Medicare, you're you're eligible at age 65, and the I would say actually the more important part of that is a lot of people retire before 65. So I get a lot of people that retire in their late 50s to early 60s. And, and you got to tell us what those people are doing that retire in the late 50s and 60s. Well, they're doing what I tell them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, are they, they're not sitting on the rocking chair. That's what I'm saying. They're, they're doing other things. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Right. They're, they're traveling around. Some people like to do that. Some people are, you know, um, you know, really leaning into being grandparents and, and, you know, hanging out with their families and their grandkids and doing stuff. Um, a lot of people volunteer. I've got people that right. wanted to take up ballroom dancing, all kinds of, all kinds right. of things. And, and I guess people want to like, well, wait a minute, how can they retire early 60s? What can I do? What, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit here, but somebody that's in their 30s and they say, well, I want to retire when I'm 62 <laughs> or 58. What did they do that I need to do to get there? And th- the funny thing is a lot of people that retire at 62, um, all they did were just consistently saved in the right areas. And so when you think about it, Retirement is is one of the last financial goals that you have. I mean, you have people that want to buy a house or want to put their kids through college or want to buy a car or buy a boat or um, move into a bigger house or whatever it is. So you have all these financial goals throughout your life and retirement is really the last major thing that you do. You have to you have some elder care in there potentially and that's right. that's a risk and you need to cover that as well, but retirement is the the, you know, the specific goal that you're planning for and because of the influence of time, since it's the furthest thing away, it's actually one of the easier things to plan for, in my opinion, because if you just do the right things, you know, for 30 years, you can retire without a problem. The, the issue is so many people out there, you know, they they start working in their 20s and they, OK, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll put that up because now I'm starting to make money and I want to enjoy it. And then they're in their 30s and they get married and have kids and have a house and a mortgage. And now they've got all these expenses and responsibilities. And so they don't have as much room to save and invest in the right ways. And then people get into their 40s and 50s. And now they're trying to put their kids through 
college and then they get into their 60s and it's like, ah, you know, everything went by so fast. I wish I would have done things differently. So if you're in your 30s, all you need to do is just start saving in the right areas. And now whether pre-tax, whether Roth, whether after tax, whether investing in real estate, you know, whatever it is, you just got to start doing it. And in many cases, you know, people started in their 30s and they retire in their 60s. That's actually a pretty long time. There's no reason that, um, you know, if you start in your 20s and 30s, you can't retire by the time you are 50 or even right. in your 40s. Um, and so I see a lot of that where people, you know, they're, they're 20s, they're doing the right things. It's like, hey, you know, by the time you're 45, you'll probably be good. But people don't think it's that attainable. And so they just write it off and don't even think about it. Is there a magic age for financial planning? Is it 30? Is it 40? I mean, or... or so I, I would, most people I work with are kind of closer to retirement age. Right. Um, now, p- some people retire in their 50s, some people still work in their 70s. So the, the actual retirement age can, can vary, but most people I work with are getting close to retirement or have just retired and they're looking at that transition. Um, but I also work with people who are younger. Me, I'm 30 years old, and so I'm not anywhere close to retirement. I'm um, glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> more because I, I like what I do and I want to continue to doing that. If I really wanted to, I could probably retire in 10 years because yeah. I'm doing the right things. I'm not going to because I'm going to, you know, I like what I do. But when I work with younger people, I'm not looking at structuring income. I'm more looking at what is the most efficient way that you can accumulate assets that will ultimately result in tax advantages, income streams in retirement or, you know, whatever that is. So how do we put all the dollars that you have in in the best spots? We all have a limited number of dollars. We want those dollars to be allocated efficiently and we want to do that consistently. And so I help younger people accumulate and then I help older people, you know, build income. So there's, there's really no age for it. What I find is a lot of younger people, um, just don't have a lot of interest in it. Right. And so I'm, I'm happy to work with them, but it, it just, they don't seem to want to talk to me quite so often as as someone who is closer to retirement and now you know they're they're, they're worried they're worried they're, right. th- that paycheck is going to stop coming in and they've got to you know get themselves straight so that's that's where you know a lot of it comes in and, and, and one thing I, I try to tell younger people save ten percent of what you make don't don't vary from that just just do that if you're like eh, 25 26 years old you start saving ten percent of everything you make you're not gonna have a problem when it comes to retirement. And again, I'm talking about putting it into a 401k, and that's even better, because then you get the tax deferral, Mm -hmm. plus hopefully get a match from your employer. You're gonna be surprised how fast you get to where you are. And I remember, that's about when I started doing my 401k, when I was, I I think it was about 28, I worked in a bank program, and like, oh, what's this 401k thing? (laughs) And it's just like, and before I know, like, wow, I got quite a bit of money in there. And uh, that's the financial plan, maybe for a 25 to 30 year old. Put away 10% of what you make into your company 401k. Don't try to do anything risky. Don't try to do Bitcoin. Don't try to do anything fancy. Mm-hmm. And, and we always tell people if you average 8 to 10%, I'm in the middle of doing a, a column for Forbes right now. That's what I'm saying. It's like if you can average 10% over your lifetime, 10% return, you can do very well. Oh, yeah. But the thing, so it's kind of like save 10%, earn 10%, and be patient. That's what they do. Be patient. And then probably when they're in their 40s, maybe when they start seeing they've got some good sums, mm-hmm. maybe at that point in time, because then you got the college starting to come in with kids yeah. and so forth, maybe then's a good time to talk to a financial planner. Yeah, I, I would think that that's, 
you know, our time where things start to get a little bit more complicated. And as you said, Brad, if you can just, you know, save consistently, because what happens with a lot of people is they'll get into their early 60s and then they just kind of look at it. Hey, can I retire? Well, you know, you've done the right things kind of accidentally. Yeah. They're really, they weren't really deliberate about it. They just kind of allowed it to happen. And then they get to, you know, age 62 and, hey, can I retire? Well, you know, if we structure all this, it looks like your um, retirement income is going to be $15,000 a month. Oh, well, that's more than my paycheck is. So I guess I can retire. And so it's, right. you know, it's almost they accidentally fall into that where if you can be deliberate, you can make that sooner and, and more efficient. Wow. Well, that show went quick. Uh, we did a financial planning show. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 858- 546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Every Harrison at that number as well. Please uh, visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more information, go to our um, investment uh, page, uh, Facebook group investing page with Brent Chase. We'll see. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week right here on Smart Investing. To think I did all that.